Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And joining us, also back, somebody that I was like, we didn't have enough time. She was on a whole hour and a half last time. But uh, she's back. She is the founder, uh, excuse me, the proprietor of Calabash Teas, which is in D.C. And you can follow them at Calabash Tea or go to CalabashTea.com and get all your goodness. Let me welcome back Dr. Sunyata Amen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. Um, yes. First first and foremost, you are an, do you went to actual medical school? Is that correct? Yes. Um, although I will say this, that I um, abandoned <laughs> allopathic medicine in favor of returning to the traditional herbalism I was taught. I'm a fifth generation herbalist, and I just find that there are so many more ways to help people doing that than uh, allopathic practice. So my my focus is uh, helping people find natural solutions for modern problems, mostly. And I, I bring that up because you know we have a plethora of doctors on the, on in our family, and what I hear over and over again is you, you get this much time, little bit of time spent on health, um, on food, on on eating right, on exercise. You know, it's. It's all of the other things, but this is foundational, how we eat and how we work out. Definitely. Um, Just to backtrack into what you were saying, which was incredibly important about our mental well-being. Um, In traditional culture, in terms of like our Asian African healing systems and Native American healing systems, there's no way to disconnect our mental and physical well-being. They are seen as one thing. So if someone has a physical ailment, the way that my great grandmother would talk about it is that there's something going on with them on a spiritual realm. There's a disconnect, um, psycho-spiritual, like there's something there that is allowing this illness to uh, take place. And when we look at the result of stress, on our bodies, when we look at the result of our um, mental attitudes or any number of things, we see that higher rates of fibroids, we see higher rates of cancer, we see hypertension. I mean, high blood pressure is through the roof. And we know that our stressors relate to that um, tremendously. Before you came in, we were having this conversation, Larry and I, with Jason Wilson, and then uh, uh, we got bombarded, all the lines are still lit. And it was man after man talking about how they were raised to not show, to, to be men, men, you know, to, to not cry, to not show any emotion, to not show any weakness because you're the rock of the family. Um, how does that play out? Because I know you're also uh, Africana's studies. You're also, so, so there's, a, there's an overlay of how we were before. So your fifth generation comes with all of that remembering of who we actually were before how did men behave five generations ago you know <laughs> in terms well, of well this is a this is a great question um we of course are still wrestling with and have been wrestling with uh the legacies of slavery the um the unwanted legacies of slavery which i would say are more than anything that was a 
potential good outcome of being kidnapped and transported to another place and not having control of your body and your mind and your well-being, in fact, being broken within that capacity. Um, it's amazing how much time and energy is devoted toward therapy for people modernly. I mean, you can't scroll on your phone without being recommended to a therapeutic solution. However, the conversation in this country and, and in other colonized Western society just doesn't include the trauma that we have experienced. And part of that trauma, uh, especially for Jamaicans, we have conversations a lot about how people were sent to Jamaica or brought, kidnapped from West Africa and brought to Jamaica specifically to break the, um, what they call the cimarones, the wild ones, the maroons, that these African people who just refused to buckle under the lash. And because of that, um, sometimes we have a hyper-masculinity that takes place that is, the defense mechanism that to, that that kind of installed itself. We also, uh, interestingly enough, in our African traditions, when we talk about Santaria or Pocomania or uh, Pocomania or Shango or Yoruba practices, we have the ability to shift differently within gender according to um, the way we're seeing the creator at that moment. And there's a lot of emotion within those ceremonies. So it, there's this dichotomy of um, Europeanized toxic masculinity versus the ability to be free floating and fluid. 866-801. Why am I giving out the number? All the lines are already lit. Larry Daniel favors <laughs> is uh, snapping it, it and clapping. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, and I've, I feel like, we need to take time with this, you know, for folks right now who are struggling with how they were raised, right? Because what I said before you guys got here is how we were raised, even like how we eat, you know, the, the hog mog, the chitlins, the fat back, the oxtails, all of that were the scraps that we made taste delicious because we bring all of the niceness to things, but it's still entrails and tails and stuff. And emotionally we carry that same entrails type baggage and we make it make sense but it really is insanity. It is. Um, if I may, uh, today's Malcolm's birthday, Malcolm X, Malik Al-Hashabaz. And I have a special place in my heart for Malcolm because he is intellectually the direct descendant of, of Marcus Garvey, who is so near and dear. My, my grandparents were Garveyites in Jamaica when Garvey was alive. And then in Harlem, my father had his interactions with Malcolm. Um, I wouldn't say they were friends, but they they weren't enemies. I mean, they knew each other in passing. Um, my parents' first store was located two doors from mosque number seven, which is where Malcolm was. And just the things that I heard about both of these luminaries um, mean so much to me. Uh, Malcolm was reported to have said that when we change I to we, like in community, when we change I to we, we change illness to wellness. And when we look at how deep this brother was going with what we eat, um, our relationship with foods, think about the fact that Garvey, um, who was Malcolm's inspiration, Garvey said, 
that we had to look at what we were eating because we were brought to these countries, to the new so-called new world, to farm these things for free. So just sugar, for example, our relationships with sugar as a comfort food and the fact that we were brought here to toil for sugar, now we're still enslaved to sugar, is something we have to reckon with. I, I messed up right now. I don't know if anyone else is because I literally wrote illness and wellness when we turn change I to we. Okay, I'm I'm done. I'm finished with my show. I'm leaving. Y'all go ahead. Y'all keep talking. Brother Malcolm is deep. <laughs> Thanks, Miss Ma- uh, Lori. I'm sure you know you you're feeling that. Lori, it's Lori, 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 Lori. I'm sorry. Like Marie with the now. Don't worry, everybody does it. Uh, I feel like it's a part of our, my entree into community. Um, as you were talking about the inability to separate and to distinguish between physical, mental, spiritual wellness, I was looking for this book, um, which is the Healing Wisdom of Africa, Maladoma Patrice Somme, and I'm sure I mispronounced his name. Um, but he talks. No, <laughs> he talks a lot in his book about. The way, and for people who don't know his story, he talks about how as a young child, he was, I believe, a part of the chieftain line of leadership within his community. As a young child, the missionaries came, and he's from the Dagara community in West Africa. Uh, I I was going to call the country's name, but I don't want to misstate it. Uh, But he talks about how as a young child, the missionaries came, the Christian European missionaries came. He is, instead of going into his initiation where he is going to transition from childhood into manhood, and as a result of the rules of this community, if you don't go through that transition, you are forever a child. You could be 80 years old. If you didn't go to your initiation, you still like an 80 year old, 10 year old. And before he could be initiated, He's taken from the, with the missionaries. He goes and he learn, he's indoctrinated into the, the uh, Christian tradition and he escapes that recognizing the harm that was being done to him. He comes back to his community, but he still has to at like 20 something years old, go through this initiation. Through the course of his initiation, he comes up to the realization because he has been fully Western indoctrinated. He's like an example of what happened to us over generations in one generation. He's been fully indoctrinated into the Western realm of seeing things, that differentiation, that separation between spirit, soul and body. And when he is in his initiation process, that's where he learns this is a completely incompatible and inhospitable way of interacting with the world around you. There is no ability to separate your inner wellness from your outer wellness. There, as simply as I cannot separate the light from the sun from the sun itself. And, and when he's speaking about that, and I'm thinking about how many ways, and going back to the conversation with Mr. Wilson earlier, we live in such a hyper-segregated society, but to come from an integrative thinking people. And I don't mean integration in terms of the blacks and the whites are all together. I mean, the way we interpret and interact with the world is through an integrated lens. Our societies reflect that as opposed to being in this segregated world where we are at the in the West. And I've done forgot my question. I'm so enraptured with everything that you said. <laughs> wait, wait, pause. That happened to me last time she was here. Lorie, <laughs> last time she was here, I was like, it was like a, a bomb went off in my head, like a in- intellectual bomb. And it was like, thousands of thoughts and questions came and then I was like and I want to ask her this and then I want to ask her that and I wasn't and it, and I got all discombobulated and she sat there doing what she's doing right now looking at me like I was crazy and uh I was like she got to come back so God, let me con- continue you just let me figure out what I was gonna say I don't know you integrated <laughs> western medicine and African traditional medicine that's where I was going with it thank you ancestors all right you integrated allopathic western approaches to medicine 
with what you already brought to the table from a, a, an African-centered way of seeing those connections and combinations. Can you talk a bit about the challenges that having been, I, I don't wanna use the word infected with Western medicine, medicinal knowledge, but how did having that, <laughs> Uh, in doc that other type of indoctrination, how did that impact your ability to remain true to the principles of African traditional medicine and healing practices? And did it help you to be a better healer in any way? Did it detract from your ability? To how were you able to synthesize those two diametrically in some ways opposed systems so that you are the phenom that has me up all morning and figuring out how many more of your teas I can order before my next. <laughs> well, I, I love what you said. And, and just to add to this, um, and in how continuum works. First of all, I'm a, I'm a reflection of your perfection, ladies. This is just, we're mirrors of each other and that's all we are here to do. And thank God for Karen to give amplify, amplification to voices is amazing. Um, Maladoma Somme and I have conducted workshops together and his wife, uh, Sabonfu, who has, a, has entered the uh, ancestral realm and I did a lot of work together, especially uh, revolving around intimacy and how in their village, there's no real word for sex. It, it, call, it um, encompasses that the ancestors are watching you during this in intimacy, that you have a responsibility to the other person, that there's tenderness as we go back to uh, brothers being able to cry. And, you know, so there's a release of um, energy before you can even be intimate, that you have to be honest with each other, or you bring that illness, as we talked about, into the weeness. You bring your personal illness into the other person's womb or, or, uh, or intimate spaces, um, and that that's important to negate and to come to terms and negate it. So I love Maladoma. We've done lots of work since like middle 90s. I'm telling on myself, but that's the case. You, so I, told us, you told us last time you're a grandmother and I fell off my chair, rolled out I into the street. Am. I came back, I tagged the wall. I was like, what the hell am I doing wrong? <laughs> I what am, I am. Um, here's what I will say to your question is that um, in my, my experience and, and my friends who've trained, uh, lots of friends who've trained extensively in Western medicine, including like my uncles and, and cousins and all kinds of people who are dentists and doctors and that kind of thing, is that there's always ways to figure out um, what's going on uh, as an intervention, like surgical intervention, medicinal, you know, pharmaceutical intervention, but very little, as you said, Karen, like uh, preventative factors <laughs> or dietary factors. There there's very little training in what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, um, how your emotions and psychology affect your eating. I mean, who among us hasn't felt in the dumps and, you know, or broke up with somebody or you broke up with someone, you know, whatever. And you then turn to your comfort foods or you just feel like you needed something crunchy or something sweet or something salty. It's always like sweet or salty, sweet or salty. And we have to come to terms with the way that that affects us. Um, I would say that when we talk about our indigenous healing ways, part of the reason why, in my estimation, I'll take the heat on why we are disconnected from that has so much to do with how we are disconnected from thinking of spirit. So I'm not being critical of Christianity per se, 
what I am saying is the way that we've been fed, whatever spiritual systems have been overlaid in the new world on us negates our ability to see nature as Necher, as the, the ancients would call it, Necher, which is the gods, the, the everythingness that uh, the word nature comes from. A ancient Egyptians had the word Necher. And so we, we don't see that nature is, we are that thing. Um, in conducting workshops with Maladoma Somme, we would do um, ceremonies where people would be buried. I know this sounds bananas, but not your face, but you would lay into the dirt in sort of a pit. It and release lots of things into the earth that you had been dealing with and just reborn. And so the idea that you're giving these things up, you're an earthling, you're giving them up to the earth, you're starting fresh again. Our um, abilities to have these processes, rituals, as you spoke of, just because we don't have that, it really limits our ability to deal with our emotions and traumas. 866-801-8255, the nature. Uh, last time you came, we did not talk about uh, you being a witch because, you know, there's all of this stuff <laughs> associated with it. But I, so I've evolved because there was a time when I'd be like, oh, I can't have one on the show because I'm not uh, dabbling in witchcraft and I don't have any witches on the show. I'm going to heaven and God's not going to, you know. So, but I'm, I've, I've changed. So, Tell us what, what does it mean to be a witch? Well, you know, I will say that Maladoma Somme considers himself a witch, Sabon Fu, lots of healers, you know, um, folks that you know. It, the way we think of the word witch um, in the movies, in Hollywood, all of that is not the same way that we are babalows or we are healers who heal spirit, not just the physical being. Um, we talk about Santaria, we talk about Condomble in Brazil, we talk about Yoruba traditions, Ghanaian Akan traditions. These are our traditions and Native American traditions included that our, our understanding of things greater than ourselves, we're willing to say we don't totally understand, but we're willing to tap in. So we see a tree, we see an animal, we see things as our compadres, not as enemies, and we respect them. We still have that within African culture, modernly, you, you see a shark, you're like, I'm not going in there. You know, <laughs> we're not swimming up to stuff. You know, that's the shark's living room. If he bites you, that's your fault. That's his living room. I have my living room. So we have a different relationship. And so when I say which, sometimes it's it's to be a bit of a provocateur because our language needs to be decolonized. The whole impetus behind people like not Queen Nanny of the Maroons, of Kojo of the Maroons, of um, Makandal of Haiti, of Dutty Bookman, who was kidnapped right from Africa and brought to Jamaica to break him. He couldn't be broken. And they sent him to Haiti to break him further. All of these people, what they have in common is that their uprisings were very successful, relatively speaking, their uh, slave rebellions, because they called on ancestors, they called on spirit medicine, they knew herbs, they could either poison slave owners and plantation owners, and also heal the people who had been injured physically and otherwise, uh, as our own people had often been traumatized and injured. 
And this is our medicine. So either you reckon with it or you don't, you know, and the idea of something outside of yourself as greater than yourself is not really where we are. So one of the things you said, and I know, you know, I, I, I hear, uh, I was very raised in a very Christian household um, with a whole lot of African-centered infiltration. <laughs> and so I remember having conversations much like what you're talking about. Well, how come this, they weren't Christians and, and they got free. Um, and they were tapping into ancestral things, stuff that y'all call Uga Booga, but they weren't enslaved anymore as a result of their Uga Booga. I am practicing Christianity. I embrace it. We've got the white Jesus on our church and I'm not freer. And I am, I, I am no more empowered to be free from the oppressive devils in this system. Now, maybe I'm free from sadness. Maybe I, I got my boost and I, I'm free from a lot of the things. I remember sitting in churches, praying for a house or praying for sister so-and-so to get a job or praying for brother so-and-so to find a spouse, or it was usually the verse. But the idea was that as Black Christians, we were praying for things we needed to get on by. And I was always confused by that because the atheists have houses. They have church, they have all the things that we needed to invoke spirituality for. And so there was that part of it. Then there was a side of it where I knew that when the mothers of the church were talking in tongues, they were having a real conversation, like a whole ass, real ass, sorry, Jesus, conversation in tongues about whatever was happening. When there was an interpretation of the word, I was like, yeah, that there is something real here, but I couldn't understand why the realness of it was only contained and only powerful if it were in the furtherance of this system. And when I read about women, Haitian women who are coming into Louisiana and are chanting and doing voodoo, and then all the chains are broken, I'm like, well, that sounds like Jesus opened up the jail cell to Paul and Silas to me. That's a whole lot more freedom. Feels a whole lot more like what Jesus was talking about than what I'm doing here. But the free, the fear and having to have those conversations. You said that there is a recognition in African and Asiatic and indigenous religious traditions that we don't know all the answers and we don't have to. That is the exact opposite of Western spirituality. We are correct, this is the book. And if you step outside of it, you are absolutely wrong. So much so that you better not be wrong because if you are, you'll go to hell. Can you talk about the inability for us to find comfort in the unknown? comfort enough that would allow us to reach back into some of those traditions and bring them forward into the space that we're at now. We gotta be, we gotta be able to tap more into spirituality than to get a house. I refuse to believe that's the <laughs> of our power. Just... Everything you said is so very spot on. I mean, think about this though. How many of our grandmothers and great grandmothers did we learn um, you, when the sun is shining and it's raining, the devil's beating his wife. You used to hear that, <laughs> or yep. you don't sweep the house at night, or somebody came to the house and you don't want these people, you put salt at the door, or you name it, right? There are a wide variety, or your, I don't know if you guys have this, but your grandmother would dream about fish. She'd come and ask each of you if you were pregnant. Like no one would escape, right? The question. <laughs> we, we look into a baby's eyes and say, oh, he's been here before. That's my grandfather. That's my great grandfather. We still have that information. We sometimes push it back, but we still have it. Um, the whole idea of the devil being his wife because the sun is shining and it's raining is the story of Shango and Oya, the goddess of storms and the, and the god of, of thunder and lightning who carries a double-sided hammer. Sound familiar? Marvel will take our stuff and make amazingly 
uh, big movies that gross billions of dollars and call it Thor and call it Storm and call it X-Men. And we will reject our own myths, which actually gave birth to myths that are the Norse people, the Irish folk, the, the Gaelic folk, the other people, their mythos. Even in Italy, I have so many friends from Southern Italy who are, um, who are in the shrine of the Black Madonna. There are actual churches where there's a Black woman holding the baby, but we will reject the, the, the Oset or, Osai, or um, uh, Isis and the baby Horus or Heru. Like we will be like, I don't know about that, but that's Mary and Jesus. We have to understand this is a continuum of information. And the moment that we give over our power to somebody else who boxes us in is the moment they take resources, land, your mind, your body, your spirit, promising you something that isn't now, yet they have the now, as you mentioned, they have the now, we have to wait for many mansions, we have to wait for streets of gold, we have to wait for honey and milk, and right now, nothing, just work, just do what we say, just stay in these lines, and really we have to think about our time, mentality, physical bodies as resources, and who are we giving those resources to? 866-801-8255. All right, we have to go to a break. When we come back, I need, uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, you're, you're vegan, so I wanna, I wanna get to the wellness part. You said when to eat, how to eat. Let's talk about that. And should I have washed my seaweed, my gold seaweed, because I didn't, and I didn't wash it. So what's <laughs> going to happen? When we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Sanyata. I'm in. Loree is sticking around as well. We'll take your questions. I promise to get to a few of you. All right. Ladies are here. I know all of those are good tips. Give us some tips, Dr. Amin, on how to stay looking like we're in our 20s when we're grandparents. <laughs> well, you did mention um, eating salmon stepping your diet forward. I used to be dogmatic as a young person. I'm so glad I don't still stand in those shoes. My, my grandfather used to say, you can't stand, you can't sit in your old age where you stood in your youth. So I've moved forward and I like to meet people where they are. So if somebody wants to do a detox, like a 21 day detox and just go ahead and move their diet forward, like, all right, let me cut out some of these things as we talked about that we've been attached to because of our colonization and what we had to make happen. And nobody blames ancestors for that. We love them for surviving. We are their wildest dreams. We exist on this internet talking to each other across satellites, they never ever thought that that would happen probably, or maybe they did, very magical. So we just have to move ourselves forward on that timeline. We should be eating differently. We don't even work the way that they used to. We don't do physical labor. We don't get out of the house the same way. We may be in an office. We may be sitting a lot, a sedentary lifestyle. So getting out at least like three times a day, just going for like 10 minute walk in the morning, morning, afternoon, uh, after eating dinner, just take a 10 minutes, come back. It just resets your system. I absolutely love what you were just saying in the commercial actually about limiting caffeine. And that comes from someone who has a tea company <laughs> and we provide herbs and teas is that I myself do not drink caffeine after like 10 
a.m., 11 a.m., I just can't do it. I'm already high strung. I'm, I, I, I'm wired, I'm built for speed. So <laughs> I know myself and that I need to unwind out of that. If we're finding that we need a, a pick-me-up at one or two or three in the afternoon, it means we're not getting enough sleep. We need to look at what we're sleeping on, which you were just talking about, how our caffeine intake, our sugar intake, and also our mental well-being. If things are troubling you and they're just rolling through your mind, like I'm that kind of person, stuff people said I'll be thinking about sometimes at two or three o'clock, it's not good. We have to learn to take, there are herbs that help us just wind it down and relax into a different space. And that's really important. Go ahead, Laurie. <laughs> I thought you were preparing for another point. <laughs> so can we talk about your tea company for just a minute? I, we don't need to rehash. Uh, yeah, you got to speak up. Yeah, your mic is, is lower right. than ours, but that's okay. We'll, oh, we'll suffer. Right, <laughs> sorry to all y'all's ears. Um, let's talk about your tea company for a minute. You had talked about one of the recipes you take, uh, the Harriet's Gun Tea, the, the teaspoon of matcha, the teaspoon of maca. Yes, I know it because I rewound that interview many, many, many times, particularly the part where you <laughs> went through your entire immune boosting protocol and concluded, and then I got the vaccine. Um, that was life-changing for me. Thank you for that. Can we talk about that blend in particular? I've literally talked about it on my show because I felt like I could see into the future after I drank a cup and, I, and I'm not even gonna say a full cup, half a cup, I was like, I've been here in other bodies. I was like, what, what is happening? Now, I know this is gonna carry more weight in light of the very religious spiritual conversation we just had. I'm being somewhat facetious, but can you talk a bit about um, that blend in particular? Am I getting the proportions right? And what is it about matcha and maca that is so healthy for us that ends up creating this sort of thing? Those are great questions. I we went out of our way at Calabash to continue what our parents had started as Garveyites and, and, and after, which is um, naming our products, doing things that would have pleased the ancestors. So, you know, Harriet's Gun is one of my favorites because it takes no prisoners just like she didn't. And we should be unapologetic in making our everyday routines, just like we're celebrating Malik El-Haj Shabazz today. These are ancestors we should be calling regularly. And that's part of our, our ceremonial life as indigenous people is that before we even start doing anything, we think about ancestors, we thank them for their contributions because we stand on their shoulders. We just don't stand by ourselves. So Harry's Gun is one of my favorites. I love Mandingo Chai. That's our love letter to the Mandinka people because those are foundational folks in the Americas that were taken because of their prowess, because of their strength. And just think about like Timbuktu and all the things that these people built in West Africa and they were taken. It, it kicked the legs out of an entire generation or two of people or three in Africa. But what happened here was that those people came here. So when we drink those things, we're honoring them, but we also making sure that they're blended so that we are seeing clearly, we are waking up in the morning, we're fulfilling our destinies in those capacities. Now, matcha, I really like a lot, um, principally because instead of brewing the tea, and it only takes a teaspoon of tea when you're using a loose leaf tea, hence the name, teaspoon, right? You only need one. Um, 
I know, right? It was like right there. <laughs> it took me years to be like, um, the matcha I love because I'm eating the tea, if that makes sense. So like when you brew a tea, you typically will throw away the leaves, but in matcha, because it's ground, you're drinking, you're eating the leaves. So that extra fiber is great for you. I love maca because it's ability to help balance your hormones as well. Um, there are times. So pause for a second, because I, I, I now have a whisk because of you. And then I have a holder for my whisk because I didn't just want to put it on a napkin. So I went and got like, like this marble <laughs> whisk holder. And now I'm a master uh, matcha whisker. Uh, Cause I, it's, yeah, thank you. And and it's almost therapeutic to, to, to make it a smooth paste. And then now I do the oat milk. I don't know if you do the oat milk, but I love the oat milk with it. I love oat and, milk. And that's my morning routine. Now, thanks to you every morning I do, I used to do a, a powerful sencha. Now I do the matcha with oat milk yeah. and oh my, it's like, it, it, it's amazing. But what is maca in terms of like, can you alternate? Can you put the maca with the matcha? That's where I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do both. At our shop at Calabash, we put the matcha and maca together. We're probably one of the first people to do that because those two foods come from completely different places. And so maca being a more Peruvian or Andean mountain food, uh, South American food is a root. And that ground root um, is rich in vitamin B and a wide variety of amino acids. So it's completely very nutritive. So it occurred to me that I know that everything has its little moment um, when these coffee companies and, and big industries decide this is the new superfood. And instead, why don't we give people what they want and at the same time, we give them what they need. So we're going to sneak the matcha into the latte when people come in and order it. And this is the way I've been drinking it for years. I want to say like 25 years. This is like my every morning drink. Or I have like mandingo chai or um, Rockin' Moroccan is one of my favorites too in the summer, uh, which is a traditional Tuareg you know, Moroccan tea, like those sets of people. These are our traditional foods in so many ways that we may be missing. And the minute we drink it, like you were mentioning, Karen, we feel like, oh my God, th- what have I been missing all my life? I want this to be my boyfriend. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> How much maca do I put with the, so I know I put a teaspoon of the matcha. How, how much maca do I put in with the matcha? Is it teaspoon to teaspoon or is it less maca? This is a great question. I'll tell you what I do. I mean, it's a personal preference, but matcha is so energetic. And so is the maca. I use sometimes like a quarter teaspoon of each. It really doesn't take as much as you may think. It's very concentrated. And the minute that you heat it, it releases all its secrets, just like, you know, we do when we get a little hot, right? All the secrets come out. So (laughs) it releases its secrets. It, um, it's amazing the way that you feel when you start balancing your nutrition in the morning, your mental wellness is completely different. So the, look at what we eat for breakfast in the United States. I mean, standardly everything is super like let's take brunch right that's the epitome of breakfast foods everything is salty super sweet or syruped you got bottomless mimosas you know so like you have all this layers of sugar and layers of salt 
and fats and not that fats are bad, but like, how about avocados? How about what do people eat in other places? And nine out of 10, those foods are savory. So when you have breakfast in Jamaica, like so much of it is actually savory. It's the same things you ate for dinner. But, you know, when we look at the way we've, our diets have been colonized and our tongues, we're not used to like, earthy things like how you're saying about the matcha and the maca like something with a little bitter a little earthy a little we have to open up all the parts of our tongue because those open up our digestion so when people say oh i have acid reflux i my digestion is not so great or i'm constipated or whatever it is i'm like you know what happened your tongue is not receiving all the information it normally would that's why sometimes we really love like Thai food or um, there are certain dishes where they're sweet and salty and savory and sour and bitter. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. It's because that's how traditional foods for indigenous people in tropical regions taste. I have two more questions. I'm sorry, Libri, but yeah. the, they're technical. Uh, caffeinated or decaffeinated maca and uh, is it naturally decaffeinated or did you do something to when it says no caffeine? What does that mean? There's no caffeine in maca. Maca is a root, it's like a potato root. Um, it's, it's naturally not caffeinated. Green tea is caffeinated just by the nature of the plant itself. So to me, putting these things, and in herbalism, traditional herbalism, we think of it as there's a leaf on a tree and that's the furthest extension of the plant. And then there's the root and that's the most grounded extension of the plant. And so when you put them together, they make this um, indelible uh, action, a force together. And that, that, that's because there's a stem, there's, you know, there's other parts of a tree, but when you use the outermost and innermost, they're symbiotic in this really great way, the dynamic. Okay. And the last one, the seaweed that I bought, uh, I read somewhere I was supposed to wash it, but I didn't. I put a pinch of it in my smoothie. Ooh. I could taste it. Huh? What? Well, tell me what I did um. wrong. Tell me what, tell me why I should have washed it. And now what's going to happen? Am I going to grow a horn? Nothing. You'll be great. You got an extra dose of minerals. Here's the thing. Everything that comes from the ocean tastes pretty much the same. And it's because it's cooked in the same broth, right? Like the ocean is just pervasively salty, et cetera. If people follow us on Instagram, I actually have put up some videos on how to rinse the seaweed, how to use some of the water remaining from it, how to make it into a smoothie, like a gel or a smoothie. And that's amazing. That's the way we drink it. And it's a tra traditional Carib, Native American, like Arawak food that we consider uh, very nutritional and very aphrodisiac. It's the kind of thing that helps get everything flowing and juicy and, you know, all of that. Oh, okay. All right. And I'm done. Go ahead, Lori. <laughs> not mad at that last tidbit at all. Thank you very much. I, I think I now know why I was also seeing into the future. I was using like a teaspoon and a half of the matcha and the maca and like a tablespoon of the Harriet because I, I missed that page that I just saw on your website that clearly provides instructions that I did not follow. Um, so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, this is going to sound funny. I mean it. Earnestly, do you teach this? Like, do you have a formal place where people, do you do online classes? Um, because you are reminding me that in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be a healer. And then I got to math and science and we didn't get along. So I'm a lawyer. Um, but what you're talking about, it's making my heart glow. How do people who didn't learn from five generations and got medical school, how do we learn a, a, a piece of what you know? Are there places where we can go where this information is being readily shared and taught with those who are worthy enough to sit and learn it? This is a great question. I'm really glad you said this. And 
something I want to share with you is my great grandmother was the village healer of her village. She came from Cuba originally and moved to Jamaica when she was younger, uh, like in her teenage years. It's not unusual. People move from island to island, same rice, same beans, you know. And, um, <laughs> and she used to say to me that every single person has a medicine to bring to a village. You can believe that you're powerful and you do administer a medicine that even if it doesn't seem quite that way every whether you're an artist you know an amazing dynamic radio show and, and television host like Karen you everyone has that medicine and a village takes all those pieces now in terms of learning about um you know spiritual psycho-spiritual medicine is what I what I will call it because there's not a word for that in English but um we do do classes, uh, both in person, I guess, you know, not now because it's COVID, but one of the things I've been wanting to do is contribute modules to Madame Hunter's um, narratives because that's the place to be, I've heard. Dr. Carson, that's, that's the place to be of all the places. I've, I've taught at Howard, I've taught at a lot of places. Um, I've taught online a lot, but I, I feel like we have to build our own institutions and value this. Look, when we talked about formal schooling in terms of what is called formal schooling in this country, we also need to take into account that Harvard, Brown, Yale, Georgetown, you know, all, all these instant Princeton were all built on slave labor. They were actually owning slaves and sold them to finance their institutions. Make no mistake about it. These are the children, right? These institutions are the children of Oxford and, you know, all of these other, you know, English institutions. Edinburgh, whatever. And the same thing applies that this is a colonized concept of education. So I'm so glad you asked this question because our information is valuable. In fact, what we are now seeing when matcha is having a moment and maca and sea moss and, and turmeric and ginger and hibiscus and you name it, is that our medicine is very valuable. And the larger powers that be are seeing that, recognizing it and pulling it out of our countries as yet another reason source, just like chocolate, coffee, uh, cinnamon, vanilla, nutmeg, I mean, you name it, sugar, these are the things that we were stolen to farm. And we're still paying those prices in lots of countries. So all I can say is, uh, I'm so glad you asked that. I'm waiting to get on narratives so we can get these conversations. Listen, um, first of all, I'm home. I, yes, Lorie, I, when she came on, because I've been reaching out because I wanted to keep coming back and I wanted to reach out to her. And, you know, I was like, did I offend you or something? You know, so let me say thank you for coming through and saying that because it conf confirms everything. And I am, you, you have an open seat, not just at this table, but at the narrative, we're going to be seeing more of this woman, Dr. Amen. Thank you for being here. Oh my God. Yeah. We got to go now. Uh, Lorie. Hey, thank thanks you so much. much. Oh, I love you. Lorie, you know I, I appreciate love you. you. I sent you a big box of goodies. Yes, you did. You well, let me, yes, you did. And I got all of the sage and everything. I meant to thank you publicly. I ordered some stuff and then I got so much more than what I asked for. So thank you. But that should be life. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.